Thank you, brothers. And thank you, Zach. Zach is visiting with us today and playing for us today. So grateful to have you with us. Uh, Let the uh, children be dismissed for junior church. And uh, just as we begin this morning, most of you probably saw the uh, email that we sent out giving you an update on uh, Gwen Vitale. Um, Gwen is with us this morning. Gwen, do you mind just raising your hand so people know who you are? Uh, So we want to be in prayer for Gwen. She has been diagnosed with breast cancer. And uh, after the service, we're going to pray over her, anoint her with oil as the elders. And if you have a need for prayer this morning when we're done, a communion service, if you have a desire for prayer, a special need, uh, please feel free to come up uh, after we're done the service and uh, join us in that time of prayer. Underneath of uh, a lot of your seats, there's a sheet of paper, and you might want to just kind of find that and share that with someone next to you, okay? I think I printed out 80 copies. Uh, I didn't want to make you jump around all through Scripture this morning, and I also thought that it would be beneficial if you had these passages of Scripture to meditate on through the week that is before us. My, uh, my topic of discussion is this, and it kind of relates to a question. Okay, and the question I would ask you is this. How is your relationship with the Word of God? How is your relationship with the Word of God? Okay, don't look down, all right? Uh, I think most of us probably wish that we had a stronger relationship with God's Word than we have. Uh, we live in a culture of great busyness, of great distraction, And yet, I think at times, we need to remind ourselves of the importance and value of God's Word in our daily life. And I want to take the opportunity of the beginning of the new year not to try to convict you and make you feel bad about your habits in regards to God's Word. Okay, I I would rather demonstrate to you the value of God's Word. I want to try to work through this discussion from the perspective of why should I be in God's Word on a regular basis in my life? And I think the, the optimum would be that we're in the Word of God on a daily basis. Okay, but most of us know what it is to have lives that are distracted, the phone rings, emails pop up, all those sorts of things happen. So what I want to encourage this morning is a regular habit in the Word, moving towards a daily habit in the Word. Okay, with the understanding that most of us, probably sitting here this morning, will have to say, you know what, I know that my relationship to the Word of God is not what it should be. A recent Rasmussen poll revealed this truth. 25% of evangelical Christians read the Bible on a regular basis. So that means two and a half out of every ten Christians spends time in the Word of God on a committed, regular, or habitual basis. He also revealed the fact that 37% of those that claim to be evangelical Christians don't read the Bible. Okay? Um, and a similar number say that they have, have read it sometime within the last week. Okay, so what that means is this. 25% of evangelical Christians are striving to cultivate a habit of a daily relationship with Scripture. Okay, that 25%. Which means what? Okay, it means that it is likely, if we're anything like the evangelical church in America, okay, it's likely that a majority of us don't have a regular habit or a commitment to be in the Word of God 
Okay, that's what that means. Okay, that for me as a pastor is alarming. Okay, it's something that should be a cause of concern for every believer. Okay, because the health of our Christian life is in many ways going to be dependent upon a relationship to the Word of God because the Spirit of God takes the Word of God, applies it to the heart of a believer, and brings about change and maturity and growth. Okay, so what I want to encourage you to do is to realize that if you don't have a regular habit of spending time in the Word, you're probably part of a majority. I want to encourage you to move into the minority this morning. Okay, to cultivate, if you will, in some way to gain a commitment, a reason to be in God's Word on a more regular basis in your life. How many of you know how many Bibles are sold in the United States of America every year? Anybody want to take a guess? It's in the millions, obviously. Okay, here's how many. 25 million Bibles are sold annually in the United States. Globally, 100 million Bibles are sold. Though Bibles are widely owned, the majority of us who have them don't read them. And the average home in which, I think it's 93% of homes in America have a Bible. Of those that have a Bible, it's likely that they have at least three. Okay, so the problem isn't, I can't find a Bible. Okay, if you have that problem, come to the office, we have them to give to you. Okay, and I will be glad if you seriously, if you say, Pastor Tim, I don't have a Bible that I can read on a regular basis or that I understand. Call me, grab me after the service and say, I need a Bible. And I will be sure to provide you with one. Okay, so that you can have an opportunity to be in God's Word. I think, however, we must say something like this. Our need is not for more Bibles. Our need is for, for more of the Bible to be present in our lives. Permeating, saturating, and changing us. One writer humored himself by saying this. He said, the worst dust storm in history would occur if all church members who were neglecting their Bibles dusted them off simultaneously. Okay, I like that. Okay, here's my encouragement to you. Why don't we create a dust storm? Why don't we pick up our Bibles and say, God, this is your word. And folks, understand this. When, when Jesus quoted the scriptures, he, he, he did it with this so, uh, kind of a qualifier. He said, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone. All right, this is in response to the temptation from Satan during the 40-day fast. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Okay, Jesus, in that context, is quoting from the Old Testament scriptures. How does he view the Old Testament scriptures? He views them as the very word of God. So that when the Bible speaks, God speaks. If you're his child, can I, can I venture this as a guess? You would probably love to hear from God. You would probably love to hear from God. And I want to encourage you that you can on a daily basis by cultivating a habit of being in his word and listening to his voice. So my goal this morning is to create in you a conviction by the power of the spirit about the importance of God's word in our daily lives with the encouragement that we as believers should create a dust storm in our community and in our culture by taking up the word of God and making a commitment to be in it on a regular basis. Okay? Why? Why? And I just want to give you a list of reasons for why the Bible is so critical and important to our daily life. 1 Peter 2 and verse 2 teaches us that the Word of God is essential to growth in Christ. Okay, I can't 
grow as I should apart from a daily habit of being in the Word of God. I can't grow effectively and consistently. So 1 Peter 2 and verse 2 on your sheet says this. Like newborn babies crave pure spiritual milk. And if you go back up into chapter 1, you find that in context, the discussion is about the Word of God by which you were saved. The word that converted you is the word that you should then crave to cultivate a relationship with. Like newborn babes, crave pure spiritual milk so that by it you may grow up in your salvation now that you have tasted in salvation that God is good. If in salvation you found that God was good in your personal Christian walk, diving into the word of God, you will find that he is more good than you ever imagined. I know that's not grammatically correct, okay? But you will find he is better than you ever imagined. Howard Hendricks breaks this verse down and says it talks about our attitude towards Scripture and appetite for Scripture and the aim of Scripture. Okay, and notice what he says. Like a newborn babe. You know what a newborn babe has? A newborn baby has attitude. Okay, when they get hungry, they have attitude. Okay, and they express it fearlessly. I just caught a wink from John Whitehead. All right, they got a new little one in the house. When, a, when an infant is hungry, what do they do? They cry out. They, they have an attitude that says, I want that, and I don't care what anyone around me thinks. Okay, I don't think little infants lay in their crib crying, thinking, boy, I know this is probably really disturbing my mom, but I'm really hungry. Okay? It's, no, it's just, that is the commitment that they have arising out of what? A sense of need. See, like a lot of times we don't sense that we have a need, therefore we don't have an attitude that says, I need God's word. And then it says this, like a newborn babe, that's the attitude, crave, cry out for, long for. All right, if you have ever tried to ignore the cry of a hungry baby, you have found that you were doing a foolish thing. Ignoring the hungry baby's cry doesn't change anything. Okay, why? They are craving, they are longing for and desiring. Okay, very similar to the way that high school students come home through the front door of the house uh, after school. Okay, I'm starving. All right, to most kids say something like that. Okay, they, they, they're famine. They want food. Okay, because why? Their body's growing. And the more your body is growing, the more hungry you are. I hope at some point in my life that hunger dies down a little bit. Now, why is it that we are to have this attitude of an appetite for the Word of God? Because there is an aim there is a goal. There's an end game. First Peter 2 says, Crave, long for, <clears throat> pure spiritual milk, so that by it you may grow up in your salvation. Which indicates what? All of us have room for progress. Okay, if I'm not in the Word of God on a regular basis, I'm not growing. Okay, and we all have room to grow. God wants us to grow. And the way we grow is by realizing that the Bible, this book that is such a blessing, is essential to our maturing in Christ and to growing in every area. Listen, think about an area in your life where you're struggling. Be honest. Okay, maybe it's with your thought life. Maybe it's in your relationship with your wife. Maybe it's in your attachment to financial money, possessions. Whatever it is, here's what I would challenge you to do. If you want to see that attitude change, that struggle be broken, go study it specifically in the Word of God. Okay, crack open the book, blow off the dust, crack open the book and say, God, show me a right attitude towards my wife. And what you will find is that you will begin to grow in an area where you've been fading.
Okay, but make it a targeted study. Okay, it is essential to growth, and God wants you to be specific about the areas in which you are growing. Healthy babies grow. Healthy Christians are marked by growth and progress. Job 23, 12. Here's what Job said. I have not departed from the commands of his lips. And when is this? This is when Job has been beaten up by life. Okay, he has been destroyed by his circumstances. What do you say in the midst of that, Job? Here's what Job says. He says, I have not departed from the commands of his lips. I have treasured the words of his mouth more than my necessary food. Okay, listen to that. I have treasured the words of his mouth more than necessary food. I can tell you this. If any of you have been around me in in the context of eating, you can say he probably has issues. Okay, I, I am not at the place where I love God's word more than I love food. Why do we love food? Because I've realized something. If you don't eat, you die. That's why babies are given by God the gift of expressing themselves when they're hungry. Why? Because a lot of times parents might get busy in life and forget about their need to be fed. So they cry, they crave, they display attitude and appetite with the aim that by it they would grow. Job said, I love your word more than necessary food. Food is not optional. Without it, you will eventually die. It is essential. That's why Jesus in Matthew 4 and verse 4 said, Man does not live by physical bread alone, although it's essential, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Okay, so the word of God is essential for for growth. Its purpose is not to satisfy curiosity, but to conform you to be like Jesus Christ. Okay, and as you go into the book, ask God, what do you want to change in me? What do you want to take away? What do you want to bring in? What about you do you want me to know that you may grow by it? It doesn't come, it is not given by God to us to make us smarter, but to make us more like Jesus Christ. So the Word of God is essential to growth in our daily experience. Secondly, it produces spiritual maturity. Hebrews 5 is the next text I have on the sheet for you. Hebrews 5, 11 through 14. The writer of Hebrews says, We have much to say about this, but it is hard to explain because you are slow to learn. What does that mean? You are slow to learn. Not that they lack capacity for comprehending truth, but they, when they hear it, it's not sinking in and penetrating and changing. Verse 12, he says, in fact, though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you the elementary truths of God's word all over again. You need milk and not solid food. Anyone who lives on milk, being still an infant, is not acquainted with the teaching about righteousness. Solid food is for the mature who by constant, this is key, who by constant use have trained themselves to distinguish between good and evil. Okay, and the key in the text is what? First word is time. The writer of Hebrews is saying, by this time, you've been in Christ long enough that there should have been measurable growth and progress. Problem, there's a lack of measurable growth and progress. What is that tied to? It's tied to the fact that they are not, by constant use, training themselves to distinguish between good and evil. Folks, you don't need to know God's word here. You need to know it here. It's here that God begins to change you. And what we need to ask God to do is take the Word of God from our minds, what we know, down into our hearts, where by the Spirit, it begins to change us. It will change your thinking, but it needs to change your heart because your heart is where the will, the desire, the choice for applying the Word of God is made. 
The key to change is not knowledge, but practice. Okay, it's practice. And so James chapter 1, it says, Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. But the man who looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues to do it, he will be blessed. I love this statement. He will be blessed in everything he does. Think about that. If I said to you this morning, look, before I start preaching, I have a way that you can experience the blessing of God in your life. How many of you would say, oh, no, that's not for me. I don't want the blessing of God. I, don't, I think all of us would say at least something like this. I'm curious about how I can have the blessing of God in my life on a regular basis. Here's what he says. Train yourselves to distinguish from good and evil by constantly using the word of God. All right, allow the truth that you know to move into practice. Let it move from your mind into your hands, into the doing, into your feet, into the walk of your life. Psalm 1 says, the man that is blessed meditates on his law day and night and it changes his life. Changes a young person's life. Changes a young lady's life. Changes a mom's life. Changes a dad's relationship with his kids. Meditate on his word day. What does God say about my relationship to this child of mine, to this circumstance in the world? Whatever it is, what has God been saying to you that you are resisting? Because when you put it into practice, you will be blessed in everything that you do. And I think the key thought in this text is the thought of progress. The Word of God comes to promote spiritual maturity. And I think there's a warning wrapped up in that it is possible for me to know the Word of God and not grow. Okay, and that to me is a fascinating thought. It's possible to have a lot of knowledge about biblical truth, but not be experiencing a change in your life. Okay, so it says a lot about how am I coming to the Word of God? Do I see it as God's directives for my life that are essential for experiencing progress that leads to blessing and joy? Third blessing from the Word of God is this. It gives discernment. It gives discernment. Acts 17.11, amazing statement. Now the Bereans, Paul's talking about a church in an area called Berea, they were of more noble character than the Thessalonians. Now, I don't know if you've ever read 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 and been astonished by what Paul can say about them. I mean, they, they are a model church. They're a church that Paul could say, your testimony about how you turned from idols to the living God has gone out like a megaphone throughout the ancient world, Asia Minor. Paul said, everywhere I go, people have heard about you. But the people of Berea, Paul says, were even... More noble than that. It's not to say that the Thessalonians weren't noble. Paul's saying they were. But the Bereans were even more noble, honorable in their walk with God. And the question you have to ask yourself is, how could that be? Why is that? They were more noble than those in Thessalonica, for they received the message with great gladness, just like they did in Thessalonica. Like a baby who, who craves to drink from his mother's breast or from a bottle. Craving, and then when they get it, this, this calm comes over them, and all you see moving is their mouth. Okay, and they're just taking in the nourishment. Paul says of the church in Berea, they received the message with eagerness, just like they did in Thessalonica, but they also examined the Scriptures every day. Okay, and the way you can translate that is they examined the Scriptures daily to see if these things that Paul was saying were true. And Paul wasn't offended when they said, got to check it. 
Okay, Paul said that is exactly the way you should live your Christian life. All right, and so I've given you a sheet. You can take that sheet home and say, okay, is the Word of God vital to my daily life? Is it essential for spiritual growth? Is it essential for, thirdly, discernment? Okay, and I think Paul's saying that the Bereans tested everything. They, they heard what Paul said, and then they compared it to the truth of God's Word, and every time they were in sync, they would take the step forward. Okay? They were always checking Paul out, even though Paul was an apostle. They understood the blessing and benefit. Jesus put it this way, John 17, 17. Sanctify, purify, give them discernment by truth. Your word is truth. And in that context, Jesus says something like this. He says, I have left them in the world, but I have given them your word. Why? Because your word is truth. And he knew that he was leaving them in a situation that would not be easy for them. And so he gives them truth to guide them and to give them the gift and capacity of discernment. Psalm 119, 29 through 30 says, Your statutes are wonderful. Therefore, I obey them. The unfolding of your words gives light. It gives understanding to the simple. Psalm 119, 105. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Okay, in what? In a dark world. In a dark world. Psalm 19.7 The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy. They make wise the simple. The Word of God comes to give us clarity. It comes to give us discernment. It doesn't come to make us more intellectual. That you'll find within the context of Christians that are devoted to Christ, you'll find people that are very bright and you'll find people that are very average. You'll find both of them. But what you will find is this, the capacity for godliness in both categories, which is not related to brilliance. It's related to commitment of the heart. To an understanding that when I put God's word into practice, it makes me wiser than all my teachers, the psalmist says. Fourthly, it provides moral clarity. My heart for college students, young people in school, is often heavy. It's often heavy. Because I realize that our kids have grown up in a world that says truth doesn't matter. Knowing the difference between right and wrong in the areas of morality is irrelevant. Yet in the context of a math class, 2 plus 2 equals what? 5. Or 3. You know what the teacher says? Oh, no, no, that's not how it works. Okay? And yet in the context of morality, 2 plus 2 can equal 5 or 7, whatever you want it to be. It's your choice. And so our, our children, in terms of morality, are raised in a culture that fights against everything that you as a believer want to teach them and show them. This is why it's important, young people, that you be in the Word. That you listen to what it says about the various issues that you wrestle with. About the issues of purity, about the issues of alcohol use. That you listen to it in relationship to what it says about your parental relationships, your relationship with the body of Christ, your need for fellowship. Listen. Listen to what it says. When you do, it will make you wiser than anyone else. You may not be the brightest person in your class or in your university or school. But you can be one of the wisest. Because you take the word of God and you put it into practice in your life. And you find that it gives you moral clarity. 
Psalm 119, verse 97. Listen to this. And I pick up on something here. The, the psalmist relationship with his God is regularly revealed in Psalm 119. Listen to what he says. Oh, how I love your law. What is he saying? God, I love the words that come from your mouth. Which means what? I love you. Because his words are an expression of his character, of his desires for us. And the psalmist can say, I love your law. I meditate on it all day long. Man, in a distracted culture, that is so hard. Does anybody here wrestle with this? I mean, to know I should be thinking, thinking about God, thinking about His Word, and the text goes off on the phone, and the email bleep goes off on the computer, and, and just constant. The psalmist says, I love your law. Your commands make me wiser than my enemies, for they are ever with me. I have more insight than all my teachers. Young people, understand this. If you live by the truth of God's word, you let it be your moral compass. You, have, you may not be as intellectual as your teacher who you're impressed with because they have a PhD from such and such a school. But you can be wiser than them. You can be wiser than them because you actually believe that you should put into practice the very words of God. Psalmist says, hey, for that reason, I love you. I love your word. I meditate on your statutes. I have more understanding than the elders, for I obey your precepts. Notice the connection between what I think about and how I live. Okay, and for moral clarity, this is crucial. You may know what is right morally, but if you don't do it, that truth is not changing you. It's just information. It's like newspaper. It's not making a difference in your life. Verse 9. Of Psalm 119. How can a young man keep his way pure? By living according to your word. Psalm 119, 105. Your word is a lamp unto my feet. And a light to my path. Light is interesting, isn't it? It is possible to look around your house in the evening and think, my house is very clean. I remember recently a situation. My wife had uh, one of the girls do some vacuuming. And my wife thought that they had vacuumed everything and everything was good and it was all fine. I knew differently. You know why? I walked up the steps of our house and looked in a certain room when the door was open, blazing sunlight shining in, and guess what I saw? I saw things you couldn't see at night. I saw, not to embarrass any of my girls because I wouldn't mention their names, but I saw enormous amounts of dust in a room that my wife thought was clean. At night, guess what? It looked clean. But when the light of the sun came in, all of the imperfections were revealed. And folks, this is what happens. You may think your life is fine. You may believe that your morality and your choices are according to what God wants. You cannot know until you open up the lens of God's word and let it shine into your life. And when it does, it's going to give you clarity about which direction you should be going. It gives a beautiful sense of direction in your life. It'll give you clarity for work, for your relationship to money, for your response to an offense, for marriage, for parenting, for dating, courtship, sexuality, entertainment, possessions, care of your physical body, your relationship to government, treatment of the poor, service to others, loving your wife, honoring your husband, training your kids, heaven and hell, finding hope and forgiveness in Christ, living and dying for hope, for joy, for sorrow, for death, about the coming of Christ and about the final end of Satan and the blessed hope. 
And that list could go, I'm serious, it could go on and on. Right? I mean, the entrance of your word gives light. It gives moral clarity about all of these issues where you're wondering about what's right and what's wrong. Let the blazing light of truth shine. And when it does, be responsive to the direction in which it points. The word of God, in a very powerful way, provide moral clarity. Another reason you should read the word of God is, is that it is necessary because Christian living is a battle. If you were trying to live the Christian life, you know this. If you're trying to be the person that God wants you to be, young or old, you know that it is not easy in our culture to be the man or woman or young person that God wants you to be. All right, And, and for that battle, what are you going to do? Okay, I would suggest to you that you cultivate a pattern of being in the Word of God. 1 Peter 5.8 says, Be self-controlled and alert. Awake, your enemy, the devil, prowls about like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour, to destroy, swallow down. He's on the prowl. Are you ready? Are you ready when temptation comes? Do you have enough of the Word of God in your mind and in your heart? Are you meditating on it enough so that when temptation comes, you respond according to truth? Okay, because there is someone out there who is seeking to take you down. Ephesians 6.11 says, put on the whole armor of God, the protection of God. Everything that he gives you to equip you for not a picnic. Okay, armor is not worn to a picnic. Unless you're going to one of those renaissance fairs. Okay, then maybe you'll see people at a picnic in armor. Armor is given for battle. And swords are not given to spank people. Okay, swords are given to destroy And so what does he say to us in verse 17? Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit. It is the Word of God. It is the instrument that we use to take on the evil one. Okay, and listen, I want you to think about Jesus. I want you to think about Jesus in his temptation during the 40 days. Three times he quotes from the book of Deuteronomy. Okay, now let's be honest. Most of us aren't jazzed about the book of Deuteronomy. Okay, why? Because we haven't studied it. We haven't really delved into it to say, God, show me what this picture of deliverance and law is all about. Show me. Jesus quotes from it four times, saying this is better than bread itself. He saw something that we often don't see in the Word of God. The Bible in that battle that we live in is God's ordained weapon against Satan's persistent attacks. Okay, it's how we respond. When this happens, do this. Okay, that's, that's the idea that is present here. And so the psalmist says in Psalm 119.11, I have hidden your word in my heart so that, what? I won't sin against God. Why? Because he loves God. Because he values and treasures the word of God. He, he enjoys it. You will experience times of discouragement in the battle. God's word will hold you to his purposes. It will remind you. So in, 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 in the temptation of Jesus, three times, it is written. What is to, which is to say what? God has said. God has said. God has said. Away with you, Satan. And then I love when Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane. And an often overlooked quotation from the Old Testament. Psalm 40. 
and verses 7 to 9. As Jesus wrestles with and trembles under the weight and likelihood of this cross coming to him as he, as he fathoms it from a human perspective, the Word of God says this, in the eyes of the disciples that watched him, he trembled. He trembled. And he cried out to his Father for help. And in that cry for help, what was he desiring? He was desiring an alternative to the cross while knowing what? It was God's will. And he, so in the midst of it, he quotes from Psalm 40, 7 through 9, quoting the words of David. He says what he says. I went out of this. But, here's the quote, I have come to do your will. Okay, in that context, when he is facing caving in and avoiding the cross, what is the word that he quotes? I have come to do your will. It is what? Settled. All right, and that word of God did what for Jesus Christ in his human form? It, it strengthened him. It was the means by which he fought off the doubts of the evil one. It's not worth it. It won't work out. I have come to do your will. Young people, mom and dad, here's the challenge. Okay, here's the challenge. Go to God and say, God, I have in this battle come to do your will. Young people, when you go back to college, you go back into high school, you go back into your school system, you go back into a home where things aren't what they should be, say to God, God, I have come to do your will. And let the truth of God's word show you how to respond in the various struggles and circumstances that you are facing. It must be on our mind in order for us to draw it and apply it to counter the lies and attacks of the evil one. So I beg of you, I encourage you, read the word of God. The last thing I would say to you this morning as an observation about the effect of God's word is that it promotes intimacy with God. And this is a thought that just kind of came over me as I was reading through Psalm 119. Psalm 119, 1 and 2. Blessed are those whose ways are blameless, who walk according to the law of the Lord. Blessed are those who keep his statutes and seek him with all their heart. Notice the connection between seeking his or, or b- between keeping his statutes and seeking him with all the heart. What is David saying? I love God. I am seeking him. How am I seeking him? By keeping his statutes, his laws, his decrees. 119, 10 through 16. I seek you with all my heart. Do not let me stray from your commands. I have you hidden your word in my heart so that I may not sin against you. Which is to say what? I have affection. I have love for you. And your word helps me to maintain that love. Praise be to you, Lord. Teach me your decrees. With my lips I recount all the laws that come from your mouth. I love to talk about what you love and what you talk about. I rejoice in following your statutes as one rejoices in great riches. Let that sink in. How many of us want just a little more? Just a little more. What is David saying? David's saying, I rejoice in your word like one rejoices in great riches. Like someone responds when they hit the jackpot in the lottery. David's saying, that's how I feel about your word. And folks, that's going to require a shift in our thinking, isn't it? Do you love God's word? Do I? Well, I will when I realize it is the means by which I can promote and encourage intimacy with and confidence in God. Psalm 119.97, or uh, verse 20, I'm sorry. Psalm 119.20, my soul is consumed with longing for your law at all times. 119.97, oh, how I love your law. Now, folks, you cannot love the law of God without loving God himself. Okay? 
Because what you're saying is, I love what you say. And when you say that to someone, you mean a little bit more than I just love your words. Okay? You're saying, I love you. It promotes intimacy with God. Psalm 119, 164. Seven times a day I will praise you for your righteous laws. See the relationship? I praise you because of your righteous laws. Great peace have they who love your law. Nothing can make them stumble. I wait for your salvation, O Lord. I follow your commands. I obey your statutes, for I love them greatly. I obey your precepts and your statutes, for all my ways are known to you. What is the psalmist? I live in your presence. I love your word. I love the difference it's making in my life. It is cultivating intimacy with God. If you sense that your walk with God is getting dry, I'm going to encourage you, get back in the word of God on a daily basis. Find out who he is. Learn about him. Know his truth. Love him. Jeremiah 15, verse 16. Jeremiah says, your words were found, and I did eat them. And they were to me the joy and rejoicing of my heart. Think about that. Your words were found, I ate them. I partook of them like an infant craving necessary food. And your your word was unto me the joy and rejoice. It was a cause for praise. The message says it this way. When your words showed up, I ate and swallowed them whole. What a feast. What a delight. I took in being yours, oh God. Why don't we read the Bible? Okay, I've given you six reasons this morning for why we should. I don't think I've told you something you didn't know before. Okay, I don't think so. Next week, I want to help you a little bit with how to, how to develop a plan to be in the Word of God on a regular basis. But I, I think simply we can say this. We don't realize how much we need it. Because if we realized how much we need it, we would not have a problem being in it. I don't have a problem getting to food. Okay, I have a problem getting to my exercise. Okay, I believe I should exercise. I think it's better for me. I feel healthier. I feel better when I'm exercising. But I'm not I'm not there with exercise like I'm there with food. Okay, but that's how the psalmist keeps describing it. He says, I'm there with your word like I'm there with food. That's exactly what Jesus says. It's what Jeremiah says over and over and over again. Craving like it's necessary and essential. How often should we read it? Pastor John Blanchard said this, it's obvious. Surely we only have to be realistic and honest with ourselves to know how regularly we should read the Bible. How often do we face problems, temptation, and pressure? Answer, every day. Then how often do we need instruction, guidance, and greater encouragement? Answer, every day. To catch all these felt needs up into an even greater issue, how often do we need to see God's face, hear His voice, feel His touch, and know His power? Every day. But see, folks, our relationship with the Word of God needs to be a daily relationship. Dale Moody said this. He said, a man can no more take in a supply of grace for the future than he can eat for the next six months. Or breathe in enough air at one time for the next week. Okay, they are silly analogies, right? You can't take in enough food to get you through six months. What do you need to do? You need to do it on a regular basis. You can't breathe in enough air to last you a week. You would look hysterical. Okay, you you can't do it. It's necessary. It's essential that you have fresh oxygen coming in, fresh food coming in. So what do you do? You're not even thinking about it. Okay, but this whole service you've been breathing in and out. Don't you hate it when somebody talks about breathing because then you start thinking about it? 
Okay? Listen, it's natural. And the Word of God should be like that. Just like sitting at my desk and getting around noontime and something starts to happen inside saying, hey, you need to do something to satisfy that. And I'm like, yep, and I'm going to. And it's natural. Ask God to give you a craving for His Word. We must draw upon God's endless, boundless store of grace from day to day as we need it. And the sooner that we start doing that, the better for our walk with God. My challenge to you this morning is this. Take this sheet, study the benefits of being in God's Word. And let's together start a dust storm. Let's let's become a church that values in our daily life the Word of God. It will change us. It will affect us. It will brighten the light of our testimony in our community. If you're here this morning... And you don't know Jesus. I want you to know this this morning. Please, please, please hear me. No one is brought into a right relationship with God by their obedience to the word of God. Okay, please understand this. I do not want you to go away thinking, my life will change if I just get into the word of God. If you don't know Jesus Christ, that word will not make sense to you. It will not appeal to you. It will not be attractive to you. You won't want it like necessary food. The word of God comes to do this for you. It comes to show you that you are out of sync with God's will and plan. And it shows you that there is a man who lived a perfect life in human form and died in your place and shed his blood on Calvary's cross so that you could have a relationship with him for free. And when you come into that relationship, you're going to want to know that person. You're going to want to know that God who loved you and gave himself for you. So here would be my challenge to you. If you're a seeker, sit down with the Bible. Go to the Gospel of John and say, God, I don't believe any of this stuff, but I have a desire to know you. Show me yourself through your word. If there's something true here, open my heart to the reality and truth of it. Transform me by your word. Your word is truth. Read the Gospel of John with this heart, Romans 10, 17. Faith comes by hearing, hearing the word of God. John 17, 17. Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. First Peter chapter 1, somewhere towards the end of the chapter. You have been born again by the living word of God. And folks, God will change you as you seek him. And as you seek him and you get closer to him, what's going to happen? You're going to see your sinfulness. And as you see your sinfulness, you're going to say, God, I want to be with you. But I realize there is a distance between me and you that is the result of my sinfulness. I need to be forgiven. And God, in his grace, will point you to the Savior, Jesus Christ. You cry out to him saying, God, forgive me. I want a relationship with you. And you will begin to fall in love with this book that we call the Bible. And Christian friend, as we come to the Lord's table this morning, It is impossible for for me to separate the word of Christ from the person of Christ. It's impossible. When you read his words, you see his work. You see his cross work. You see his love. You see his sacrifice. You see his grace. You see why he came. In the book of the law, he said, it is written of me. I have come to do your will. You know what the Father's will? It was that Jesus Christ would endure the consequences of the cross that are pictured in the elements that we partake of this morning in the Lord's table. These speak the word of truth. Jesus said, every time you do this, you proclaim my death until I come. And I would encourage you, Christian friend, this morning, if you have to say, Pastor Tim, honestly, 
My relationship with God's word is not what I even think it should be, nor is it anything like what God says. Maybe you just go to God this morning and say, God, forgive my complacency. Forgive my being distracted. Help me to cultivate a habit of being in your word. Maybe that's as you come to the Lord's table. And you realize that through the word, you know more about him. You know more about what he did for you on the cross. You comprehend in a deeper and greater way the, the elements of the Lord's table. You might say to him, Lord, forgive me for ignoring your word because I don't appreciate this like I should. Confess that to him. Let the word of God shine its light into your life this morning. Maybe there's an area, as we've talked about God's truth, where you can say, you know what? In this area, I know I am out of sync with God's truth. I want that change today. Would you go to God and just say, God, please, based on the blood of Christ and his broken body, forgive me. Forgive me. And as you do that, he will begin to work and change your life. Father, thank you.